Section 1 of Hereditary Genius by Francis Galton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Leon Harvey. Introductory Chapter I propose to show in this book that a man's natural abilities are derived by inheritance under exactly the same limitations as are the form and physical features of the whole organic world. Consequently, as it is easy, notwithstanding those limitations, to obtain by careful selection a permanent breed of dogs or horses gifted with peculiar powers of running, or of doing anything else, so it would be quite practical to produce a highly gifted race of men by judicious marriages during several consecutive generations. I shall show that social agencies of an ordinary character, whose influences are little suspected, are at this moment working towards the degradation of human nature and that others are working towards its improvement. I conclude that each generation has enormous power over the natural gifts of those that follow, and that maintain that it is a duty we owe to humanity to investigate the range of that power, and to exercise it in a way that, without being unwise towards ourselves, shall be most advantageous to future inhabitants of the earth. I am aware that my views, which were first published four years ago in Macmillan's magazine in June and August 1865, are in contradiction to general opinion, but the arguments I then used have been since accepted, to my great gratification, by many of the highest authorities on hereditary. In reproducing them, as I now do, in a much more elaborate form, and on a greatly enlarged basis of induction, I feel assured that, inasmuch as what I then wrote was sufficient to earn the acceptance of Mr. Darwin, Domestication of Plants and Animals, I.I. 7, the increased amount of evidence submitted in the present volume is not likely to be gainsaid. The general plan of my argument is to show that high reputation is a pretty accurate test of high ability. Next, to discuss the relationships of a large body of fairly eminent men, namely, the judges of England from 1660 to 1868, the statesmen of the time of George III, and the premiers during the last 100 years, and to obtain from these a general survey of the laws of hereditary in respect to genius. Then I shall examine, in order, the kindred of the most illustrious commanders, men of literature, and of science, poets, painters, and musicians, of whom history speaks. I shall also discuss the kindred of a certain selection of divines and of modern scholars. Then will follow a short chapter, by way of comparison, on the hereditary transmission of physical gifts, as deduced from the relationships of a certain classes of oarsmen and wrestlers. Lastly, I shall collate my results and draw conclusions. It will be observed that I deal with more than one grade of ability, those upon whom the greater part of my volume is occupied, and on whose kinships my argument is most securely based, have been generally reputed as endowed by nature with extraordinary genius. There are so few of these men that, although they are scattered throughout the whole historical period of human existence, their number does not amount to more than 400, and yet a considerable proportion of them will be found to be interrelated. Another grade of ability with which I deal is that which includes numerous, highly eminent, and all the illustrious names of modern English history, whose immediate descendants are living among us, whose histories are popularly known, and whose relationships may readily be traced by the help of biographical dictionaries, peerages, and similar books of reference. A third and lower grade is that of the English judges, massed together as a whole, for the purpose of the prefatory statistical inquiry of which I have already spoken. No one doubts that many of the ablest intellects of our race are to be found among the judges, 
Nevertheless, the average ability of a judge cannot be rated as equal to that of the lower of the two grades I have described. I trust the reader will make allowances for a large and somewhat important class of omissions I have felt myself compelled to make when treating of the eminent men of modern days. I am prevented by a sense of decorum from quoting names of their relations in contemporary life who are not recognised as public characters. Although their abilities may be highly appreciated in private life, still less consistent with decorum would it have been to introduce the names of female relatives that stand in the same category. My case so is overpoweringly strong that I am perfectly able to prove my point without having recourse to this class of evidence. Nevertheless, the reader should bear in mind that it exists, and I beg he will do me the justice of allowing that I have not overlooked the whole of the evidence that does not appear in my pages. I am deeply conscious of the imperfections of my work, but my sins are those of omissions, not of commission. Such errors as I may and must have made, which give a fictitious support to my arguments, are, I am confident, out of all proportion fewer than such omissions of facts as would have helped to establish them. I have taken little notice in this book of modern men of eminence who are not English, or at least well known to Englishmen. I feared, if I included large classes of foreigners, that I should make glaring errors. It requires a very great deal of labour to hunt out relationships, even with the facilities afforded to a countryman having access to persons acquainted with the various families. Much more would have been difficult to hunt out the kindred of foreigners. I should have especially liked to investigate the biographies of Italians and Jews, both of whom appear to be rich in families of high intellectual breeds. Germany and America are also full of interest. It is a little less so with respect to France, where the revolution and the guillotine made such havoc among the progeny of her abler races. There is one advantage to a candid critic in my having left so large a field untouched. It enables me to propose a test that any well-informed reader may easily adopt who doubts the fairness of my examples. He may most reasonably suspect that I have been unconsciously influenced by my theories to select men whose kindred were most favourable to their support. If so, I beg he will test my impartiality as follows. Let him take a dozen names of his own selection as the most eminent in whatever profession and in whatever country he knows most about, and let him trace out for himself their relations. It is necessary, as I find by experience, to take some pains to be sure that none, even of the immediate relatives, on either the male or female side, have been overlooked. If he does what I propose, I am confident he will be astonished at the completeness with which the results will confirm my theory. I venture to speak with assurance, because it has often occurred to me to propose this very test to incredulous friends, and invariably, so far as my memory serves me, as large a proportion of the men who were named were discovered to have eminent relations as the nature of my views on hereditary would have led me to expect. End of section 1